and starts going immediately to the to the frontline workers and the doctors and the nurses. But I wanted to say a quick shout out to the unsung heroes of the COVID pandemic, and that's the church tech teams. And um, I mean, because if you're if you're not involved in the technology that it takes to get good sound, good video, get it on the internet. Um, there's a team of people that you can't see that are behind the scenes right now and they're listening to audio and they're playing slides and they're doing lots of things and um, there's a lot going on behind the scenes so if you're a member of a church tech team uh, just kudos to you and keep up the good work um, i'm excited this morning to bring you a message if you've got your bible with you in front of you um, we're going to start in genesis chapter 12 now i'll put most of the verses will be on the screen for you um, but i want you to get your bible and I know that phones are great, computers are great, we can put it on the screens, and that's fantastic. But um, there's just something about putting your hands on God's Word. I think it's important. Um, it, it helps us to remember things when we can touch things while we're reading and listening. But here's what we're going to do. Today I'm going to kick off uh, several different uh, uh, messages um, and want to answer the question I guess if I was to title today's message it would simply be how did we get here anyway and what I wanted to do was take some time to talk about how did we get into this thing that we're caught up in called the church called the kingdom of God where in the world what what got us here and then we're going to start talking about what the church is and what it looks like according to the text not necessarily according to what we think, but according to what God's inspired word tells us that the church is. And then we're going to get down the road a little bit to start talking about something that you'll hear me say a lot. And that is we talk about the kingdom. You see it in the gospels talked about as the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and what the difference is, if there be any, and what that has to do with the church. Because if you're like me, you grew up in a world, I grew up in a, in a very conservative East Texas Baptist church. And uh, that's really all that I know uh, or knew growing up about the church and about the kingdom. And what I found as I got older is some of the things that I thought that I knew about the church as a whole were not exactly what the word said about the church as a whole. And so we're going to go down this. So here's the deal. If you're sitting at home or maybe you're one of the tech crew here sitting today, if you're a person that takes notes, this is going to be a good sermon and sermon series for you because I'm going to literally, I want you to, if you're not sitting down, sit down for a second. I'm going to cover Genesis to today in the morning service, okay? We're literally going to go from creation to today. And so we're going to cover all of it, sort of, in a very, very broad stroke. But if you're not a note taker, today's a great day to start, so grab you a pen, grab you a piece of paper, because I won't be able to stop and really dissect all of the scriptures that I'm going to give you today. I will some of them, but you write them down, and I want you to go back and read them. Because here's the thing. In the church, we've gotten, and I've talked about this, we've gotten into this habit and this pattern of just taking in what others give us and not checking it. But the Bible said about the Bereans, it says they were more noble than the others because they would go and search the scriptures diligently, daily, what they were hearing from the apostles to see if it matched up. And I want to encourage you um, to do that. And if you ever sit under a pastor or a, a teacher that discourages you from checking out what they say in the word, be careful. I want to encourage you to go into the word and to look. So here's what we're going to do. Here, we're going to answer the question, 
how did this thing start anyway? And it's, again, this is going to be an introductory thing. So everybody's got a past, right? I mean, I've got a past. You've got a past. Um, some of it's good. Some of it's probably not so good. And uh, some of it you like to talk about at family reunions, and some of it you wish your family would forget. But everybody's got a past. And, and what I have found is, is that um, uh, it can either hold us back or it can propel us forward. And people tend to make two different mistakes. Either uh, we live on our past successes and think they'll continue to carry us through and we don't do anything new, or we're completely bound up by our past failures and think we can never do anything right. And those are two big mistakes uh, that, that we tend to make. And in the spirit of that, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, forget those things which are behind and reach up to what is ahead. But there's another mistake that we tend to make, and that is never to look back at all and to forget where we came from. And so what I want to do today is to kind of address that. We're going to look back and, in very broad strokes and look at where we came from. Now, what has happened over the centuries is that, I mean, we're, we're transient in nature. We, we travel, we walk around, um, and we, we do things, but we tend to have forgotten where we came from. And I'm going to really stick close to my notes today if, we're gonna, if I'm going to get us through this on time. But it's important to me to be able to look back, have a sense of history, and know what we came from. So if you got your Bible in Genesis chapter, we'll probably start in about chapter 12. But what happened, if you're a history person, about 1440 BCE, that's before the common era. We like to call it BC. We think it's before, before Christ. But it's really before the common era. About 1440, all of these oral traditions that were given down through this Jewish culture, through the Israeli culture, they hit Moses about that time, and he begins to write them down in what we know as the Torah or the law, and he begins to write them down. And if you go to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, we get two chapters in all of the 66 books of the Bible where everything's awesome. I mean, there is what the Hebrews would call shalom. There is peace. There's a rhythm to things. Um, you can have food without being a glutton. There is, uh, you can have wine without being an alcoholic. There's intimacy without lust. I mean, there's, there's two chapters of good. Then there's Genesis 3. And then sin comes in and fractures this shalom. It fractures the peace. It fractures the rhythm. It fractures everything and it starts spiraling out of control the whole world the whole earth is spiral and in that spiral there's this guy named abram and god comes to him he eventually will change his name to abraham and he comes to him in that spiral and out of abram or we know him as abraham comes three of the main monotheistic religions that we know of. We, we have Islam, Judaism, and eventually Christianity, all stem from this guy named Abram that God then changes to Abraham. But if you look in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, what we see is the promise. We have the first promise of actually this thing that we're caught up in called the church. The Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your country, your relatives, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And then I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. 
And I will make your name great so that you will exemplify divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly, I must curse. And all of the families of the earth will bless one another by your name. That's the promise that actually we're going to see a little bit later comes to fruition in what we would see as Jesus and the sanctification and the, the sacrifice of the cross. But God tells Abraham that he is once again going to restore this shalom, this peace, this rhythm back that we had for two whole chapters. Um, we, he's going to fix that, and that's the promise that's given to him. And I love Abraham's response in that text. His response is simply this. I don't have any sons. I'm old, and my wife is as good as dead. That's a great response, right? I mean, when the God of the universe comes to you and says, I'm going to do a thing, and he was like, actually, I don't think you can do a thing. I'm too old. She's too old. We don't have any sons. Not going to happen. Well, we know how that story goes if you've been around church very long. Give it a little bit of time and some other sordid stories of them trying to do it on their own. That's a whole different sermon series. Then God gives him Isaac. And Isaac is what we come to know as the son of promise. And through him comes all of the fruition of this promise. And so we got two chapters of good. Sin fractures it. The earth spirals into chaos. And God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to fix it through you. And I'm going to do it miraculously. And then later on, so here's Abraham who's been given this son in Isaac, this son of promise through whom all of this promise is supposed to come. And then God shows up and says, Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. I just want you to kill him. Wait a second. Time out. I mean, I, I, can, I can just hear Abraham. Remember, this is the guy that God said, get up and go to some place. I'll show you later. And he went. And so this whole story started out with faith. He didn't know where he was going, but he went. And now God says, all right, I'm going to fix this through Isaac. Go kill Isaac. And you know the stories. He walks up and, and you can... You can feel the angst in Isaac. I mean, he's got the wood. There's the knife, the fire. And you see it in his voice because Isaac says, uh, where's the ram? Where's the lamb? There's no actual agent of sacrifice here. And you can hear, I can just, because he knew how this went. They'd sacrificed before and you could almost see it. It was like, uh, dad, uh, we're missing a major piece. And the response is, God will provide the lamb. And when they get up to the, to the mountain, to their, and the scriptures talk about how he bound him, and he placed him on the altar, can you imagine what was going through Isaac's mind? Probably somewhere, and we don't know this from the text, but I wonder if someone had told him, you're the son of promise. It's all on you. And maybe he knew that. Maybe he had an understanding of that, but Abraham definitely knew and I believe, according to the text, that Abraham would have killed him. I believe he would have been obedient. But God stopped him, and you know the story, there was a ram. Now, there's this thing in the world that's called open theism, and it basically says this, that there are things that God does not know. I don't believe that. Let me be real clear, that's not what the Scriptures teach. But there are views that think, well, God did this because he wasn't really sure if Abraham believed in him or not he wasn't really certain what was going to happen so he had to test him so that he could find out that's nonsense god knew so we go to genesis chapter 22 in genesis chapter 22 and verse 15 
right after this whole Mount Moriah, go sacrifice your son thing, God then gives a promise of the multiplication of the seed. In chapter 22 and verse 15, the Bible says real simply, the Lord's angel called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, I solemnly swear by my own name, decrees the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be as countless as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the strongholds of their enemies. Because you have obeyed me, all the nations of the earth will pronounce blessing on one another using the name of your descendants. And then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set out together for Beersheba, where Abraham stayed. Now, I want you to key in on that phrase, all the nations of the earth. It says all the nations will be blessed, and that's important because of this. A lot of people see the, the, the Bible, and they go, oh, the Old Testament's just about the Jews. That's just the Hebrew. The Old Testament is as much about me and you as Gentiles and all the nations of the earth. It's not a Jewish story. It's a human story. And it just came to the Jews first. We, we don't miss that because you can go into from Genesis all the way to the end of the book and you can find Jesus in everything. The promises, the fulfillments will not do all of that today. So what God begins to do is unveil his plan to reconcile this broken shalom, this rhythm back into with the whole world. He's not just going to reconcile with one group of people. He's going to reconcile the entire world, not just Israel, and he's going to reconcile it to himself. Now, what happens in the text is, is that we begin to see this language of all the nations. All the nations begin to show up all through the scriptures. I'll, I'll walk you down. This is where you need to take the pen, and you're going to need to write some of these down. I'm not going to turn to them, per se. There's not a slide for them. But in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, you see at Sinai... He says, the whole earth is mine. And the Lord declares that you will become a kingdom of priests. I don't, I was, if, if everybody was here this morning, I would say, raise your hand. So maybe on your couch, you can raise your hand. If you've ever heard us talked about as kingdoms, a uh, kingdom of priests, the priesthood of the believer. And a lot of people don't understand maybe what that means. Well, let me show you real quickly why that was important. Because in their culture at this time, what the priests did was they went before the people. They went before the layman and made reconciliation with God on their behalf. So in that moment, they would give sacrifices. They would go to the, the temple or the tabernacle at some points in time. And they would make peace in a moment with God for the people. But he declares at Sinai in Exodus 19, I'm going to make you a kingdom full of priests. What that means is, is that you and I, by ourselves, through the Spirit of God, through the blood of Jesus, can make peace and reconciliation through the cross by ourselves. I don't need you to do it for me. You don't need me to do it for you. We have, can boldly, the Bible says, go before the throne of grace because we are now a kingdom full of priests. There's not just a few and then everybody else. He puts us all on the same playing field. We're all in this together, as it were, but we all have rights to the table as well. And so... God tells Abraham that a priestly community is going to come out of his descendants and usher in this right relationship with God that was broken in Genesis chapter 3. Remember, we had good, 
If it had sin, spiral into chaos. God comes and tells Abraham, you know what priests are. I'm going to create a whole kingdom full for the whole rest of the world. Then what happens is Moses dies. Joshua takes over, crosses Jordan. And when he gets there in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 24, jot that down. In Joshua 4 and 24, um, he says that God did this so that the nations of the earth might recognize the Lord's power. Not just Israel, but the nations. So even in the Old Testament, we're in Exodus, then we went to Joshua. This language about the nations of the earth. And then Solomon comes in, dedicates the temple. In Psalms, we see uh, the, it being said that it says, let the nations be glad. Let the nations bow down. This language just keeps coming up. In Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22, he says, turn to me so you can be delivered. And then he says this, all you who live in the earth's remote regions. If ever there was a remote region of the earth, I would think that deep east Texas is one of them, right? And uh, I mean, and so from the Old Testament, there's a message being sent that even us in East Texas, we are all the nations of the earth. He says, let you bow down. Let everyone is going to be delivered. So this language just keeps coming up that something's coming. Something's going to happen that's going to fix the shalom, bring the rhythm back, fix what got broken, but it's going to get fixed for everybody. Then we have 400 years of silence. Now, some of you mothers of small children out there are thinking that would be glorious. But in this instance, it's not because that means that there was silence from God. We call it the Dark Ages. And out of the Dark Ages, the Messiah is born. It's out of that silence that we begin to see things shifting. I have a saying that I say all the time when people say, well, how do you explain this or that? And I say simply, Jesus changed everything. He literally divided time. He literally set the world upside down and changed everything that we thought we knew. So he comes onto the scene and Jesus even begins in the Gospels and the, and the apostles, John and Matthew and Mark and Luke, begin to use this same language about this thing that we're involved in called the church in this global language. I think I have a slide for John chapter 10. I think I, that's where I'm at. John chapter 10 and verse 15. It says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. I have other sheep that do not come from this sheepfold. I must bring them too, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be, and here's the phrase, one flock and one shepherd. One of the greatest things that I want to impart to you, I think that you, if you could get a hold of it, is, is that the kingdom of God is bigger than we are. You could fill this building with as many people as we could possibly get in here, and it's a drop in the bucket in the sense of the kingdom. And it's not just all the people around the world that believe. It's all the people around the world that believe for all of time. The kingdom of God is bigger than any of us. And that language continues to roll up one flock, one shepherd, and that shepherd is Jesus. Then we jump over into Romans chapter 9. I told you I was going to cover a lot, didn't I? Paul in Romans chapter 9 and verse 6 says, Not all who are Israel are of Abraham's offspring. He said, wait a second. Didn't God make the promise to Abraham that out of your offspring 
Something was going to happen that fixed all of the broken shalom of, Acts, of Genesis chapter 3 when it fractured. And it's going to come out of your descendants. And didn't God tell Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants as the, sea, the stars of the sky and the sand uh, on the beach. It's, they're going to be that many. And then Paul tells us in Romans kind of how that's going to work. And he says, not all who are Israel are of Abraham's offspring. Or in other words, not all the descendants of Israel are Israel. It's bigger than that. And you and I should be really thankful that it's bigger than that because we're not offspring of Abraham, most of us. We're Gentiles, and we're not offspring of Abraham, but we still want to get in. We still want to be a part of this thing that's going to restore the shalom and the rhythm that we call salvation and the church. When that kind of was going on, some strange things started happening. Jesus... On the cross, crucified, before he died, says in Aramaic, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, a lot of people teach this, that God turns his back on Jesus at that time, and that somehow he, in that moment, was detached and absent from, from what was happening and just kind of let it do its course. But I want to show you through the text and through the nature of who God is, I don't think that's right. Now, Isaiah and Habakkuk will tell us that you know, he cannot look on sin or he can't look on iniquity, I believe it says in Habakkuk. Um, and so people take that and they say, oh, God just turned his back because it got cloudy. And that's what we see in the movies. But I want to tell you it's worse than that. And here's the deal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, he who knew no sin became sin. And people take that verse and say, see, that's when God couldn't look on him because Jesus became sin and he can't look at iniquity. But I've got three particular problems with that interpretation. Number one, if God turns his back, he can still see. You may think that's trite and trivial, but I really want you to dig into the nature and the character of who God is. It's important. Just because it's cloudy doesn't mean that God's vision is blocked from what's happening. But why is that significant, you might ask? Because there's going to be times in your life that you're going to feel like God can't see you. There are going to be times in your life that you're going to feel like it's going to feel on your side that God has left and he is absent. But according to the text and the character and nature of who he is, even Psalm 139 and verse 8 says, If my soul is in hell, he is there as well. So no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, the omnipresent, omnipotent, all-knowing, omniscient nature of who God is, he knows what's happening. But I would submit to you it's even worse than that. I would submit to you that God wasn't absent on the cross, but he was present. And what Jesus cried about being forsaken was he was feeling the wrath, the present anguish and wrath of Almighty God within the Trinity somehow that you and I deserve. There was an... There was an absence in the sense that he was not experiencing the communion with the Father that he was accustomed to. But more than that, what was happening was that the very wrath of God was being poured out on him. I, for sake of time, I'll not jump over there, but in Psalm chapter 22, I'll just read it to you in verse 1. is where we see that. It says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then down in verse 27 of Psalm chapter 22, 
The Bible says all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before you. So those are kind of bookends in one chapter where we see that story. It's almost as if Jesus on the cross was saying, quoting and echoing Psalm 22 as if to cry out. In a minute, he's going to say it, it's finished. It's almost as if he's crying out, it's getting started. This is really the birth of this beautiful thing we call the church and the kingdom as we know it as he was taking on that wrath for us. And then the next big crazy thing that happened was Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We call it the Great Commission. The disciples get this command from Jesus. And what do they do with it? They go into the upper room and they prayed and they wait. Then in Acts chapter 2, we have what we call Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came. Because remember, Jesus said, I've got to go or he can't come. They didn't want Jesus to leave, but he says, I've got to because the Spirit's got to come and you need him. So they're praying, and then Acts 2 comes, Pentecost. Peter preaches one of the most powerful sermons that is recorded. And thousands of souls are saved. Now what had happened was, was because of some persecution in the past, Jews had been scattered all over the planet, or over, the, or over their area, their region, the planet, but over their region, and they had come back at this time of Passover into Jerusalem, and they were from different areas, and they all had different dialects and different languages and things and ways that they spoke. And the miracle of Pentecost was that they all heard in their own dialect, in their own language, and they were like, what in the world? This is something new. 3,000 men became believers on that day. And what you and I know as the modern church began. That people just started, the Bible says they were added daily, such as should be saved. But we still have a problem because in the terms of Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, everybody at this point in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost are still Jews. We don't have all the nations yet. We don't have everybody in the remote regions yet, but that was the promise, so something had to happen, and that takes us to Acts chapter 10, which is where we've been on Wednesday nights, and I'm so thankful that Wednesday night we get to finish Acts chapter 10. It's literally my favorite pivotal passage in the book of Acts simply because Gentiles get saved, and it gives me hope and promise. So what happened is, I won't rehearse the whole story because you can go watch the video on the first part of Acts chapter 9. And then you can join us on Wednesday night and we'll finish it up in chapter 10. But long story short, Cornelius is a Gentile, has a vision. At the same time, Peter has a vision. Then God says, basically, if I make it clean, it's good. He goes to Cornelius, preaches, and everybody that's in Cornelius' house gets saved. They get the Holy Spirit. They start hearing and speaking in other tongues and things, craziness happening. And this was the first time that it happened. Because the promise came to the Jews, and it was kind of a Jewish thing. And all of a sudden, with Cornelius, we begin to see the fulfillment of the promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis. That I'm going to fix this for everybody. And in fact, in the book of Acts, if you'll go and study that and read it, we'll talk about it on Wednesday night. Peter takes that information back to the council at Jerusalem. And in typical church fashion, I, I, I look at this and I go, they had to be Baptist. Because he preached, the spirit fell, they all got saved. Then they had to go back, and the council had to have a meeting to decide whether or not God could do what he already did. That's literally what happened. And you can see Peter kind of sitting in the text. He's just kind of sitting there listening and watching. 
and waiting. And they, they come to the right conclusion. They give them the right hand of fellow. Oh, I guess, I guess it happened. And Peter just kind of telling them, I don't know, you can do what you want to do, but this is what happened. God's fulfilling a promise. What I want you to understand is that it's bigger than you. And it's bigger than me. It's bigger than First Baptist Church Fruitvale. It's bigger than fill in the blank. It's bigger than everything. So history rocks on. How The question, remember, we're answering is how did we get here? In 42 AD, I'm going to run through these real fast. The Apostle Mark goes to Egypt. In 49 AD, Paul winds up in Turkey. In 51 AD, Paul goes to Greece. In 52, Thomas, you remember doubting Thomas, Thomas goes to India. Now, where do you get all this information? You can go study this. There are church history books all over the place. I've compiled a lot of information from listening to people, reading, studying. In 54 AD, Paul's on his third journey, and he writes Romans, and he says, Wherever I go, the Gentiles will do the law. And what he's saying is, is that the law was written on their hearts. And here, let me give you my every plague, every pandemic, every government, every single event has done nothing but push forward this story that God promised in Genesis about fixing this thing. And so when we get caught up in one silly election that does or does not go the way that we want it to, my question to you is this, do you really think that one election in one country on this globe can stop and thwart a plan that's been set in place since Genesis chapter 3 and has been playing out in every single government, every single person, every single event ever since to bring to fruition this promise that God said, I'm going to fix it? And the answer is simply no. One election can't do it. A thousand elections can't do it. A country can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. The bad day you had this week can't do it. Nothing can thwart and stop the kingdom of God from advancing forward to fulfilling the promise that he made. Because I tell my friends in my small group, sometimes we're having bad days. And I said, yeah, but brother, we got promises. We have promises that God's going to finish what he started. He does that. It's who he is. And he's going to finish this thing that we call the church. You and I are the church. That's why, as I'm not a member of Fruitvale, uh, First Baptist Church of Fruitvale, but I am a member of the kingdom of God. And we can come in here, and I, I talk with Tim, my, my friend, about this all the time. There are people that I come in contact with that there's an instant, uh, seems to be a communion between us, an instant connection and those are kingdom people. Because the Bible said, remember what he said? There are people in another flock that I've got to bring them to. And he says, they're going to hear my voice. And when we hear the voice of our shepherd, and it's taught, read, and preached, and we see people living the principles of our shepherd, it resonates with us because we recognize the voice and the life of our shepherd. And when we see that, we can commune with one another. Um, it's, it's, I hear things said like, this is a, a sister church over there or a, a brother or church over here. And I really want to push into that a little bit and say, no, we're all the church. We just happen to be in separate places. Because if you look in the text, he started something that we cannot contain in any structure. It's way bigger than that. And so uh, just like this situation we find ourselves in here, um, you guys, First Baptist Church, had a need for the time being. 
for someone to deliver and to teach and to help get us on. And you know what? The kingdom provided that for now. It's not me or Tim or, or any. It's the kingdom provides. And you know what? He's always going to do that. That doesn't mean everything's going to be awesome. But it does mean that everything's going to work out the way he wants it to. The Bible says that if what Satan meant for evil, God's going to mean and twist it for good. And Romans 8, 28, still in the book, everything, everything works together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Even pandemics, even empty church buildings, they will work for good. Why? Because this plan was put into place and it was a promise that was made that we can't stop. So instead of trying to go do something for God, I encourage people, why don't you see where God's moving and just get involved? Go see what God's doing and just get involved in the train. Because he's moving and he's advancing. When the gospel began to leave Jerusalem, you know why it left Jerusalem? Because Stephen was martyred. When they killed Stephen, during that time, the apostle Paul then saw the zealot stood by and held their coats while they killed Stephen. That persecution didn't stop the movement. That persecution spread the movement. They had to leave Jerusalem and oh, what happens? They took the gospel with them. And it spread to this place and that place. And so even if persecution comes to us today, I want to encourage you, it can't stop this story. It can't stop the promise because a promise is something that happens, especially when it's been given by the Lord. You can count on it happening. It may involve us. It may not involve us. We may all lose our lives on the path. But just like Stephen, I'm fascinated by his story because he did something I've only heard the two guys doing, him and Jesus. And while people killed him, he prayed that God would forgive them because they just didn't understand. They don't know what they're doing. They're caught up in that chaos. But you and I are caught up in the solution. Because see, when Stephen was about to die, what does the text say? It says he looked up and he saw heaven. The curtain was peeled back and he began to see things for what they were, not for what they looked like they were and that allowed him to have compassion on his murderers you don't think that impacted Saul and yes it took the Damascus Road experience but you don't think he remembered that day so here's my encouragement to you this morning you and I have an opportunity to do what Stephen did and to see the kingdom of heaven on the other side of the veil and we can see it all around us. Just got to be looking. We're going to spend some time over the next few weeks digging into the structure of the church, leadership structures in the church, uh, volunteer. I mean, and not the man side of it, in the textual side of it. What is this thing that we're caught up in? Today, you got to see where it came from. As we move through this, you're going to get to see where it's going. And in fact, I would even tell you where it is now. I can't wait to share it with you. I hope you get to come back and see us. Here in a minute, our, our uh, uh, musicians are going to come back, and they're going to sing us a song to close us out today. But here's what I want you to do. I like to give homework. 
I want you to go look up those texts that we really didn't dig into. I want you to check what I've said. Don't take my word for it. God gave you 66 books to go out there and study on your own. And if you're not sure how to do that, you send us a message. I'll make sure personally that you get instructed on how to study the book for yourself. You go see. This is a great story. Two chapters of awesome. Everything else is the awesome story of God putting it back like it's supposed to be. Pray with me as they come up here to sing. Father, we love you. We praise your name today. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this story. Thank you that you didn't leave us broken. Father, I thank you this morning that though we busted up the shalom and the rhythm that you gave us, that you saw fit to come into this world through Jesus and to fix it to all the nations. As a Gentile, I'm so grateful that you didn't just save the Jews, but that you saw me and you saw everyone watching this broadcast and you loved us so much that you would fulfill your promise to fix it. I thank you that the kingdom has come and that the kingdom is here and that we're not waiting for all of it. There's a part to come later, but I'm grateful that the kingdom of God is alive and real in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Blessed in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. They're going to sing a word of, uh, of just encouragement to us, and they're gonna, that'll close out the service. You'll not see me again uh, on this broadcast, but I want to thank you for coming and thank you for joining us. Don't turn the broadcast off. Sing with us because God inhabits our praise, and we want to lead out with and close with praise.